So I know last time I preached, <clears throat> I went an hour long. So <laughs> I went over my notes, and it's not an hour long as of yet. So hallelujah and amen. <laughs> I knew Paula would give me an amen on that one. No. Um, I have a clock back there, so I'm trying to do the math of when I need to get done here. But um, I am so thankful to be here. And this morning... <laughs> I was on my way here, and it was early. I had my windows down. I was just jamming out to worship music, and I was singing. And you know, like when your windows are down and your throat gets dry, but I still wanted to keep singing really loudly. Then all of a sudden, my throat went out, and I started coughing. And now I can't get rid of this cough. And you know what I said? I said, not today, Satan. Not today. So I refuse it. (laughs) Not today, Satan, but bear with me if it comes back up. (laughs) But I refuse it. So anyways, There's a lot that I have and I hope to teach you today, and um, I'm just asking that that you track with me, that this is a time of teaching, really, this morning, and if you know me, I'll probably start to steer into preaching a little bit along the way, but I want to show you something that the Lord really opened my eyes to about, um, I would say, a few months ago, and I was watching TBN. Yes, I watch TVN. <laughs> I also watch Hillsong Channel, and I also binge watch Netflix, so don't think that I'm holier than thou, okay? Like, it's okay. I still watch Netflix. But sometimes I just like to have this on. And this preacher that was on there gave this illustration that I'm going to kind of use later. I've, I've tweaked it a little bit, and um, he wasn't using this exact passage that we're diving in today. But when I read this passage, it was the exact illustration that helped me grab onto something that really changed the way that I looked at things. And so when I saw this passage today, I'm like, yes, I get to tell other people about it. This is so exciting, and it's such a privilege to do so. So we've been in the book of Acts, and Josiah, Pastor Josiah, um, preached on Acts 17 last week. And when we left Acts 17, we were in Athens. So within the um, chapter 18, Paul leaves Athens. He goes into the city of Corinth. And then from Corinth, um, in Corinth, he meets this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And they are tent makers along with him. They are, he eventually calls them co-laborers in the ministry. And they are with Paul. They go everywhere with Paul. And Paul gets called to go to Syria. And so they, Paul asks them to come with them. They stop at the port of Ephesus, which is eventually what Paul writes to the Ephesians. It's those people. Um, They stop in the port of Ephesus. Paul exits um, the ship. He goes in and he teaches in the synagogues. And just for a little bit, then he gets back on the ship. But he tells Priscilla and Aquila to stay there. And to work with the believe, and to be with the believers that um, were new to the faith. And so we enter in today in Acts 18, 24. And um, as we read this, I also want you to acknowledge, and I, I just think it's important, not totally important, but I think it's cool to know that when we are introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, when we're first introduced to them, Aquila is the husband and Priscilla is the wife. But after that, it flip-flops. You're introduced to them as Priscilla and Aquila, which is interesting because they would never put the woman's name before the man's name in that time unless she was very prominent in ministry. So 
Throughout this time, she was most likely even the face of it, although they worked as a couple in it. Maybe she was lead of hospitality. Um, So I think that's really cool. Whenever you're reading scripture, sometimes we read over names really quickly. Um, But just that we wouldn't think anything of it to say like Jan and Kurt, Kurt and Jan, doesn't really matter. But in their day, it does, and it matters something. So I thought that was a little cool thing I wanted to share with you. Um, But we're going to dive in on Acts 18, 24, if you want to read this with me this morning says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an, equ- an eloquent, well, I can't even say eloquent, wow, um, an eloquent speaker who knew, the, <laughs> who knew the scriptures had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Time out. I'm only reading this because my name is Alexandria. Just kidding. <laughs> it really is. Um, so here I am oh, uh, in Egypt. Verse 25, he had been taught the way of the Lord and had taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. Well, however, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they, told him, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So let's step into this for a moment. So Apollos comes out of Egypt. He's a Greek He's trained in the scriptures, he's Greek-speaking, and he's Jewish. And so he walks in there, and he is eloquent, he knows what he's talking about, and he's most likely John's, one of John the Baptist's followers, or one of his disciples' followers. So he knows all about what Jesus came, like that he came, and everything that John the Baptist would have known, but John the Baptist was killed before Jesus um, was uh, on the cross. So he knows everything about that. But with Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him speaking, And they're just like, okay, everything you're saying is right, but there's more. So instead of admonishing him in front of everyone, they take him aside and teach him the scriptures and show him the way of the Lord more accurately. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way that we can pull a lesson from that today. Um, But as they do this, the people of Ephesus come alongside Apollos. They don't He doesn't quit. He keeps going. They don't tell him to stop. We're not following you anymore because you didn't tell us everything you know. No, they pushed on towards with him and said, okay, Apollos feels called to go to Corinth. They said, we will send a letter ahead saying for the Corinthians to welcome you. So they did that. And what we're going to do what we're really focusing in on is chapter 19, 1, but I felt like I needed to give you what happened in chapter 18 because we are walking through the book of Acts. So we're going to dive in right here on these seven verses today. Chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, who had already gone through, he had traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Ephesus is just where Apollos had left. He says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, well, no, they replied, we haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. Now, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is the question that Paul asks them. He, he, these are, remember, these are followers of what likely Apollos had taught them, only of John's baptism. And so 
Paul approaches these believers and asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is my question for all of us today. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, it's interesting because when I first read this, and this is why I'm telling you because I had to work through this for a second. I'm like, wait a second. Okay, this is 30 years after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down in the upper room. This is 30 years later from chapter 2. And I'm like, well, when we receive Jesus into our hearts and we say that we're believers, isn't the Holy Spirit already in us? So, in fact, why is he asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because we automatically say, well, yeah, because, I mean, I believe and Jesus came in my heart and so the Holy Spirit's there, then yes. But he's asking them a question knowing that they're believers. So I had to wrestle with this. What in the world is he asking him? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, when he goes on, I I need to step off for a second on here because the last part of this says that he laid the hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, these are gifts given, but I don't want us to ever confuse, and I'm not asking you if you've spoken in tongues, and so that's why I need to tell you this. I don't want us to confuse the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. So look with me with what I'm saying here on Acts 1, 4, 5. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, once when, this says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift as he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what is the gift that we receive from the Father? The Holy Spirit. So, I think so often um, there are things that the Holy Spirit enables us to do. But we can't get distracted by speaking in tongues or prophesying or any of the other gifts by confusing that with the actual gift. Have you actually received the Holy Spirit in whole? And in that, he chooses, it says, to one he gives prophecy, to one he gives speaking in tongues, to one he gives wisdom, to one he gives faith. These are things, it's not necessarily because there are some beliefs, but we don't in the Nazarene church, and I believe too, as I have studied, that it doesn't, it's not necessarily a sign that you have to speak in tongues to be filled. That's not just the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can come on us and our faith can be ignited, but I can't see that immediately. My mercy can be ignited, I can't see that immediately. Administration is another one. Knowledge, wisdom. These aren't, some of them are outwardly obvious. But so I don't want you to think that, okay, well, I've never spoken in tongues or prophesied as we're looking in these specific scriptures that you have never received it. He's asking something bigger than that. The gift is the Holy Spirit. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Period. Now, once we receive the Holy Spirit, then things are given to us the spiritual gifts of him, but we have to have him first for him to give us spirit, the gifts of the spirit. Okay, I know it's confusing. I asked you to track with me. I warned you. You have no excuse. Okay. (laughs) And so, and what my dad always says when he talks about the the experience that he says, um, that God told him, do not seek the gift, seek the giver. 
And I always think of, even in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, I, if I speak in tongues of angels but have not love, I am nothing. So these are results of, but it's not everything. Okay, so I want us to know this and know it and know it, okay? He has gifted us with things, but you have to have him first. All right, now back to 19, back to the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, what was their answer? No, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. What was his second question then? It says, then what baptism did you experience? Now, when I read this, I'm thinking, well, isn't there just the water baptism? I mean, I know that it's mentioned multiple baptisms, but it's all kind of water baptism, per se. It's just said in different ways. John's baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, everything's mentioned the same. And as I started going into it, I'm like, Lord, what is he talking about? Because this is Paul, your anointed one, asking them, one, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And two, which baptism did you experience? So to answer the first one, because he didn't get that answer, he had to ask another question. So that's what we're going to do today is what type of baptism, what kind of baptism have you experienced? And we're going to look into this um, in 1 John 5, if you want to turn there. But I want to take in context that in the New Testament um, world, whenever they're talking about baptism, it's immersion. Okay, so I know that now we can do sprinkling, and I'm not saying that any of that's wrong, but what they're asking is full-on immersion. So, yes, maybe when you receive Jesus, his spirit is the Holy Spirit, and it dwells in us, but have you been full-on immersed in the Holy Spirit? Is it filling? Is it overflowing? And is it going out from you? So as we look at these three baptisms in 1 John 5, 6 through 8, it reads, And Jesus was revealed as as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And we have three witnesses on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. So we have three baptisms mentioned here. We have the Spirit, we have the water, and we have the blood. Peter even affirms this in um, Acts 2.38, whenever he's talking, right after they've received the Holy Spirit, um, he says this to the people whenever, uh, it's after he says that all the sons and daughters will prophesy and they will dream dreams, and he goes on. And he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So we must repent of our sins, then be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then we receive the gift of the Spirit. Remember, the gift is what the Father has given to us. So in saying this, and what I was working through is the fact that we must be baptized by the blood. We must be baptized in the water and in the Spirit. Now, keep tracking with me here. Keep tracking with me here. Um, at first, I was like, well, why, why do we have to have all three? I believe as, as living and functioning Christians, and I'll get to this, but I want to actually say, first of all, I'm not questioning your salvation. Whoa, this just hit me in my heart. Okay, I'm not questioning your salvation if you feel like you haven't received the Spirit or you've never been water baptized. But I will say that the blood baptism is when you first believed. 
It says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Boom. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it is by faith that you are saved. Water baptism and baptism of the Spirit does not save you. Jesus Christ is the only one that saves you because he gave his life for you on the cross, and his blood is what sanctifies you and cleanses your heart. Remember the thief on the cross? He's next to Jesus, and he, he's saying, well, I believe that you are who you say you are. And he says, well, you will be with me in paradise today with my father. Now, he didn't say, no, you need to get down from the cross and come be baptized. You know, it's like, I know that that's a bad place to put a joke. I know. Um, but, <laughs> but here's the deal. He was, with, he was going to be in paradise because he believed Jesus is who he says he is. However, he was in his last moments. He was in his last moments. We have today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but he's asking you to be fully functioning into the life that he has called us to live. If we have this knowledge, then there's two other things that is very important for us to be aware of and to live into, to fully grasp everything that God has created us to be and to live into the purpose that he has created you for. So water baptism. This is a, this is a symbol. We do it here. Um, but I wish we did it more often because I, I, I want you to know that not only is this a symbol, um, not because we don't, we do it, but for people to understand the significance of it, truly. Um, this is an act and it symbolizes the death of Christ being buried and then raised again. So when we are baptized, when we are physically baptized, the, we are baptized and buried with Christ and raised anew into a new life. So the blood gives us a new heart. The water gives us new life. And in this, which I also think is beautiful, is the fact that um, Jesus has his disciples baptized. Only his disciples. Now, he's attributed the baptisms because that's who they're following after. But it says, in Ma he says, Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, as disciples, we are called to disciple others and baptize them. We get to be a part of it. That's what I think is so beautiful. And it says in 1 Corinthians, it says you are baptized into one body. So when you're taken into the water, you're baptized into the body of Christ. It's a physical act of something that's happening internally. That's how we like to explain it. And so when I get baptized in front of my church community or the church community, it's saying, hi, I'm here. I'm committed. Let's do this. We struggle a little bit with commitment nowadays, don't we? I am, for one, a part of it. But when it comes to the church body, the commitment of being here, when it says, I am new and I'm a part of the community, I'm a part of the community of Christ beyond these four walls even, that's a commitment that we have to take. But it's a beautiful thing that we can look around and I can know that I have family around me. It is so beautiful, but it's a part of it. And it's um, the joy that comes from it is <laughs> unexplainable. But there's one more that I'd like to touch on today, and this is the main one that I'm focusing on, because what is our question today? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So, in all four gospel accounts, John the Baptist proclaims in similar places, 
basically along these lines, and many things aren't found in all four gospel accounts, but this specifically is what John the Baptist says. He says in Matthew 3, 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what is John saying here? He's saying that Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit draws us to Jesus. We receive Jesus. And once we receive Jesus, we have to ask him to baptize us in his Holy Spirit. Is that, are you tracking? Okay. I know, I, I know sometimes my mind is like going a million miles an hour, but I just, it, this blows my mind because we have to ask him. So we automatically assume that whenever we receive Jesus, yes, the Holy Spirit is in us, okay? It's, it's there. But what he's saying is you need to ask me for more. Ask me so I can fill you. And then it goes overflowing you, and then it's on, outside of you, and then it's just everywhere you start walking. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit where you're walking fully immersed in the anointing of the one who created you that he says, bring your kingdom to earth. We pray that in the, in, in the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now we get to be a part of that. When we, when we receive Jesus into our lives, we get to be a part of that story. We get to be the part that brings a bit of heaven to earth in our brokenness, in the death that's happening around us, in the cancer, in the heartache. You know, one thing is it just points that this is not our home. This is not the way that God created it to be. There is a hope. There is a joy that we can grab into the heavenlies and bring it here, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us. This is good news. This is good news. But the thing is, is we have to ask him to do so. Do you remember when Jesus um, was baptized by John? And, this, and after he came up out of the water, the skies parted, and a dove, uh, it says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. It doesn't actually say dove, but it says he comes down like a dove. And he comes upon Jesus. And after this point is actually when his ministry begins. He begins in the water, he ends in the blood, and then he sends the Spirit. Jesus did not... He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. That's what we believe. So why did he have to be baptized? Why does he need the forgiveness? He doesn't. He says in Matthew, it says that I came to fulfill God's law. And he does this for a purpose and for a reason. And that's what I'm trying to point to you is that Jesus is our example in anything and everything. We need to look to him. So if he got baptized when he didn't even have to, we should consider what that means for us. And that after that, the Holy Spirit not only came on him, but stayed on him. And that is huge because in the Old Testament, it says the Holy Spirit would come on them. And then, you know, he came on him. He didn't stay with him. But when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit stayed on him. And then he was compelled to go out into the wilderness to face temptation. He was fasting um, for 40 days and his ministry began when the Holy Spirit stayed on him. So the Holy Spirit was already in him, right? You believe that? The Holy Spirit was in him. That's the only way that he could truly, I mean, he's in connection with the Father. But when he was baptized and raised again and the Holy Spirit came on him is when he was compelled to go. At that point is when he's compelled to go and the Holy Spirit rests on him. So if he comes to fulfill the law, what law is this? He's talking about the Old Testament. And so if you think of Moses leaving, he, he, 
He's leading the Israelites um, out of Egypt. And um, when he does this, they go through the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, and they get into the wilderness. Now, what does God provide in the wilderness? The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and that represents his spirit. So that's what's leading them. The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And what I want you to look at with me is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. Keeping this message in mind, because you're like, you just said Old Testament, and you're going to 1 Corinthians. Well, watch this. Okay, so it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. They were baptized into Moses, their deliverer, the lawgiver. They were baptized in the cloud, representing, representing the spirit. And they were baptized in the sea, which is the water. See, there's so many things in the New Testament that were still there all the way in the Old. We just don't realize there's so much symbolism happening in the Old Testament that comes to fruition in the New Testament. And it's beautiful when you start seeing them come on top of each other. I have never, before I started studying that, I never actually read, I had read in 1 Corinthians 10, I'd never actually thought about what it just said to me. That they were baptized in Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. So after they came, I'm totally getting teacher mode. Um, who the? All right. So after they came into the wilderness and they settled, God asked them to um, build a tabernacle with specific requirements, measurements, and the order of doing things. I'm just doing this so you can see. All right. So it'll be really big. I promise. It won't be pretty, but it'll be big. Okay. The tabernacle. I'll just call it the old tab. Okay. Who's got time to write tabernacle? I mean, not me, because I'm looking at the clock, people. I got you. I got you. I know you guys want to go to lunch. Okay. So we have the, oh, wow, I'm bad at drawing straight lines. All right. Ooh, nope. Okay. So we have one entrance, okay? This is the way into the tabernacle, the only way into the tabernacle. All right? Within the tabernacle, we have the holy place. And the Holy of Holies. Now this, the Holy of Holies is where God's presence would reside with the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And there's only one time a year on the Day of Atonement that the high priest, and at this time it was Aaron, was allowed to enter all the way into the Holy of Holies and ask him to forgive all the sins of the land, of the people and the land, actually. Okay, but before you even get to this spot, track with me, all right, not that big, probably, but okay. So we have the altar that you had to bring a lamb to the altar and sacrifice the lamb on behalf of your sins. You have to ask for repentance. You sacrifice the perfect lamb, and here is the blood altar, blood offering. Okay, and so after you, I love how I read this because I don't know why it just really inspired me, but it says, after they would sacrifice at the altar, there was a laver, a basin of water that was conveniently placed. I don't know why, but I just love that. I'm like assuming it has to be convenience, right? So we're going 
from the blood altar, we go to the water basin, the laver. They would call it, call it a brazen laver. Okay, so this is the blood sacrifice. Here you have the water. Now what's interesting is that the fire, the lampstand, is next, but it's inside the holy place. Okay, so you have to cleanse yourself enough. I'm going to draw a cool menorah. Okay, yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay, so the fire is in here. So this is the fire. This is the spirit. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit and throughout Scripture is represented as a, as a fire, as a cloud, and we've read as a dove. Okay? So this is representation of the Spirit right here. So what three baptisms do we have before you can even enter into the presence of God? We got blood. We got water. We got fire. Now let me tell you something that blew my mind. This is the outer courts. Okay? All you have to do, this, the blood of the Lamb, you are forgiven, you are saved. This is, this is what you need right here. Remember, remember, I'm telling you this, you, I'm not questioning your salvation, okay? But what, as Christians, so often, we're okay with this. This is awesome, right? I mean, really, truly, I'm not making light of it. This is, this is the best news that you will ever get in your entire life. I firmly believe it with everything in me. But guess what? We're like, okay, all right, I, can, I get this now. I will take it. I will accept this. All right, I'll go to the water, and then after the water, they would cleanse their hands, and they would, the priest would cleanse their feet in signs of purification, of forgiveness, and newness. So we're okay with that. A lot of us have been water baptized, whether as a, as a child or later on in life. Now, Christians are fine with that because it's like, okay, we can, we can choose this because we can kind of get a handle on it a little bit. My worry is, and what I believe is that we go like this, this is good, this is good. We go like this, okay, I'll take that. Whoa, what are you asking me to do? Fire? Who can contain fire? Who can control fire? Who can get a grip on what the fire is going to, we look at California, seriously. I mean, they're trying to contain fire, and it has been such a struggle, but this is what the Holy Spirit actually should represent in our lives, that nothing can contain us, that if he is in us, we will go where he's asking us to go. I think of Jordan. Jordan's going to the other side of the world to who, no, she doesn't even know when or if she will come back. That's a life living, and what the Holy Spirit is asking her to do is all over her. Even if you're around her, you can sense it on her. It's beautiful. But here's the deal, is we try to do this and get, but there's not a door over here. Oh, the door's in there. So we stay out here. We stay out here. We stay out here in the outer courts. We're saved. We're baptized. We're in community. And you know what? It even says in, when, when Jesus is talking in Acts 1, 4 and 5, he says, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift. So Jesus himself is saying, stay where you are until you get the Holy Spirit. You're saved, you're my disciples, you're fine. But stay in Jerusalem. Four, three verses later in Acts 1, 8, it says, but then you will see receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Stay here until you receive, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive my Holy Spirit, and then go. The Holy Spirit is what compels Jesus. The Holy Spirit is what compels us. Now, we're comfortable in our Jerusalems. 
aren't we? <laughs> I am. It's comfortable. And even if we're, we're witnessing to the people around us, it's not that we're not witnessing even at all. We could be doing good things in our community, but going outside of our comfort zone, outside of having those conversations, praying in the name of the Holy Spirit, asking him to do things that we're like, what in the world am I asking right now? I just start backing up like, what? No, 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 I'm going back. I'm going back over here. The fire is too hot because we can't control it. But I'm asking you, and I'm, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to look at your life and wonder, did I receive the Holy Spirit this way? The baptism of the Holy Spirit when I first believed. And it really, actually, we use the barnagraph here a lot. Um, of the, can you see it? Oh, there it is. Okay, so when I'm looking at this, I was, I was working on this, actually just came to my mind this morning. I was thinking about it. Like, most Christians, it says down here, most Americans never get Beyond stop three, among those who become born-again Christians, most never move past stop five. Now, in light of this graph, and in light of what we're looking at, where do you think one through five is? Probably right in here. The faith activities. But then you're asking me to go into a dark place and hope that the light's on? And then when we do that, we start to get closer to God. Whenever we live in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, we, we might experience prolonged experience of spiritual discontentment, but we're holding on to the faith that he is with us, that he can empower us through the personal brokenness. And then we choose to surrender because as we grow in the Holy Spirit and what we believe is that there is holiness, he starts to make us new. He starts to transform us. Not only has we been transformed, but we are being transformed. And when you're living in the likeness of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, things that you used to do, you won't do anymore, and I'm sounding a lot like my father right now. But guess what? It's because it's true. <laughs> it is true. It's so true. I, I, I wasn't, I'm going to share this, but the day, so in my journey, I was far from the Lord. Um, I was further from the Lord, I'd say, for a couple years there where I was going one way, and I was coming to church on Sundays, and I finally just submitted it. I submitted it. I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> really was not, I wasn't even trying to do anything else except for help. You know, I pray that probably once a day anyways, but it's a good thing. And uh, I was in here, and about four years ago, we had a baptism service, and it was on Pentecost Sunday. If you were here, I think you'll probably always remember it. We didn't even really recognize that it was Pentecost Sunday. And um, so, but we had this baptism service, and it was so beautiful, and, and you could just feel the Holy Spirit's anointing in this place. And, and we had our baptism set up over here, and I'm standing right there. And I'm, I'm praying, and I'm worshiping, and then all of a sudden, I started to feel really dizzy. I started kind of like a little like tunnel vision. And I get, like, really shaky. I'm like, what is happening to me right now? And I, I was just like, what is happening? I can feel it. I'm about to go down for the count. Like, I literally thought I was about to pass out. And no, I've never been in a church service where that's happened, okay? So I had no idea what was happening to me. Now I know that this is kind of normal in some other places. But I was just, like, thinking, like, don't you dare. Don't you dare fall. Don't you do it. <laughs> like, I literally was telling, I'm not kidding you. I was singing, but I was just like, if you fall down, Gentry, you're going to look like a crazy person. And to this day, I wish I fell. Because you know what? I care too much about what other people were doing or what other people would think than what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life at that very moment. Just because I had never seen it before, I was afraid of it. 
But guess what? I know that he works in ways that maybe we never had seen before, but we're afraid of it. But when we walk in it, he will give us the power to walk through with it. So what I did was instead of standing there and passing out, I walked that way and got baptized. <laughs> and the beauty of this is nothing to do with what I did. Nothing to do about, oh, Allie fills the Holy Spirit where she almost passes out. Like, I'm not trying to uplift anything that I do. This is not about me. What I'm trying to point you to is him and the work of the Holy Spirit because now I know what it's like. Now I feel it. Now I sense it. And I believe not only did I get rebaptized that day, which we don't believe you have to be, but I needed to. After the life that I had come from, and I'd lived a couple years away from it at that point, I needed to physically be dunked, have my old life buried, my new life come up, and be in the community of the fellowship of believers around me, cheering me on and welcoming me to the community. That's how it should be every single Sunday. I'm getting pumped. I love church. I love church. I love community because it should be fun. We should be wanting to go outside of our walls and bring people, bring people to our church or to whatever church. It doesn't matter. Are they finding Jesus? Are broken people being made whole? That is our call to go and make disciples. Let the Holy Spirit fall on you. It is a little scary sometimes, but it's, that's where the beauty happens. That's when you realize it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him, and it's about them around you. And I'm praying that over our congregation today. I'm praying that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what's so beautiful about this? That veil got torn from top to bottom the day that Jesus gave up his last breath here on earth as a human. So his presence disperses everywhere. We're all, we don't have to go in there. We don't have to be a priest we don't have to only go in here one day a year. Every single day, he's calling us to operate in the three of salvation, of repentance. You've already been saved, but we need to repent. We need to be made new. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to be in community. And then to live and ask, Lord, please just pour out your anointing on me. Please just pour out your spirit. I need to receive another dosage. Please, please. To the point where it's like anointing oil. I always think of this, like the Holy Spirit just like anoints if he anoints you from head to toe, then it's like all on your clothes, right? If you like put it on in the morning, I shared this with women's retreat last year, but like you, it's like your lotion, like it's anointing oil, the Holy Spirit, like on the outside, not just on the inside, but now it's getting on your clothes and that's anointing. You're like, what the? You know, people are like, what's that oil on your shirt? Oh, let me tell you. It's the Holy Spirit, you know? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, if it's pouring around me, and then I get in contact, and I give you a hug, or I walk by you, and I say, hi, how's it going? They're like, that girl's covered in something. What is she covered in? That's the power of the anointing and the baptism of a full immersion in the Holy Spirit. It'll change the way people around you operate. Not only you, not only will fall out of you, but it'll change the way everything is happening around you because he has the power to do so. The power that is given to us since the beginning of Acts, the Holy Spirit power, see, they, they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know that they could speak in tongues until it happened. That same exact power is available to us today. We can heal the sick. We can walk in, but you have to, it's only not you. <laughs> Whoa. It is not about you and the gifts that you're given, but have you been baptized in the Spirit and then walk in the faith of knowing that, hey, he might not do exactly what I've asked him of him to do, 
Hallelujah. I mean, oh my goodness, if he, only, if he did everything I asked him to do, my life would be a disaster. Disaster. He has saved me because it was, not, he, it was his will. <laughs> Hallelujah that he does that. But we have to walk in faith and say, I'm praying the Holy Spirit over you. I'm praying the Holy Spirit anointing over this place. I'm praying that his, his glory will fall down in fullness. When we receive your, your rain, we receive the Holy Spirit water falling on us. Lord, every day I repent of the things that I've done. But the great thing is, is like, I'm not still doing those things I used to do two years ago because I've been changed and made whole. And when I get here, I get, he shows me something else that I can work on. And I can become more and more and more Christ-like. And that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it. And the hope of it, truly. So if the band wants to come up, I don't know where my notes are, so... <laughs> This morning, I want to ask you, have you received this gift of salvation? Ephesians says it's a gift. It's not from works. No one can boast. It's a free gift of salvation that he already did this for you, it's just available for you to reach out and ask for, that you can receive it from him. That you receive Jesus into your life. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you, have you been baptized by the water? In doing this, you are proclaiming publicly to your fellow co-laborers in Christ that you are all in. And let me say, it's not going to be pretty but we're in it together. And that's what makes it absolutely stunning to the broken world around us. It's a representation that your old life is dead. We have to die to it every day. And that you're choosing a new life. And you haven't, if you haven't been baptized, I'm asking that you just seek it. Seek counsel on, is this time? Is it, when would be the time? But it's a commitment, but it's one of everlasting joy. And if you have received Christ as your Savior, and you have been baptized by the water, I need to ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit? It's the gift that Jesus wants to give you from the Father. It's all three in one, and all three testify not only in earth, but, or not only in heaven, but here on earth. Are you walking in the power of the one who lives inside of you? Because the veil has been torn, God's presence is made available to all of us. And what's so beautiful in Acts 19.1, when Paul is talking to them in the message translation, it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive God only in your mind or in your heart also? As Josiah sings, and if you guys would all please stand with me as we sing this song. You know, I love that we have altars here. Um, it's just a place to meet with the Lord, to ask him to receive something from him. And um, I'm asking this morning that if you need any of these, if you're just seeking repentance, if you're seeking, um, you know, Lord, help me with my commitment. Help me with um, just your anointing to be on me today. 
You need a refresh and a new, and maybe you've never asked for it. Or maybe you need a fresh dosage. <laughs> that we don't care about what everybody else, because I will tell you, if you're going to care about what people in here think of you, then you're not going to do it out there. But why don't we be a vulnerable community for the strong, not only for each other, but for those outside of these walls? That we can say, you know what, I don't know why that person went to the altar, and I don't care, I'm going to pray for them. That we come and we humble ourselves before the Lord. That we ask him to pour out his spirit. And I want to pray with you if you want to come down. I want to lay hands on you. And I pray that anybody who wants to come and pray for other people, they only come in the Holy Spirit. And you pray the Holy Spirit's anointing over them. If you need healing, come up here. I have no idea what I'm saying right now, but I just know that the Holy Spirit is asking me, if you need anything, what do you need? Because we are disciples of Christ and we are to lay hands on each other so we can live out the gifts that the Spirit wants to give us and show the world who truly is the king of everything. See, this is not our home. Heaven is everything. Everything we see is temporal. Everything we don't, do not see, that is eternal. There's more important things going on here than what people around us are thinking. So let us come, let us kneel, stand, but come and receive the Spirit in his beautiful, beautiful name and let your fellow co-laborers in Christ pray over you.